0: there we go we're in revelation chapter six welcome to the tuesday night bible study we just prayed and this is a uh, an amazing book it's been considered the hardest book of the bible to teach so uh but here we are this is my third time through this book and it's still hard and it's i'm still learning and there's still question marks in places but it's an amazing series of visions that the apostle john has given about the future um and uh So we've seen the seven letters to seven churches, which have application for every church and every individual. We know that because each one ends with the words, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Then we took a trip to heaven in chapters four and five. And in chapter five, chapter four was just full of worship, worship, worship. It was wonderful. Chapter five was all about this sealed scroll. By the way, somebody asked me last week, and the majority opinion is that you have to remove all seven seals to open the scroll. But I did read this week that there are scholars that think that with each seal that you open, you can read a little of the scroll. For, for what it's worth, hard to explain. I guess there's different types of scrolls and different types of sealing. In any case, there was found only one in the whole universe who was worthy to remove the seals and open the scroll. That was the big thing in chapter five. So we said last week, the big question then is, well, what is this scroll? And so there are varying opinions. And I, this is one of those situations where I think they're all correct. I think the scroll is the title deed of planet earth and of the universe. And God is the rightful owner. Christ is the rightful owner. And there's a usurper that has taken over. Satan is called more than once the God, small G of this world. And so besides being the title deed of planet earth, all of what's in the book of revelation from here on out is in a way in that scroll, it's God's plan to write every single wrong, to leave no loose ends by the end of the book. Some of you, most of you probably have seen The Wizard of Oz, correct? Okay, you may say, boy, that's going to come up in a Bible study. In The Wizard of Oz, if you know the story, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I can't imagine anybody having not seen it, but if you haven't seen it, there are a number of Problems that need to be resolved in that movie. If you remember, Dorothy wants to see the wizard and wants to go home, right? Because there's no place like home or Bible study. Anyway, she wants to go home. The scarecrow wants a brain. I've been there. The tin man wants a heart. The lion wants courage. The people of Oz and the rest of the characters I mentioned all wish that the wicked wist of the witch of the East and the West would be gone. lot of conflicts, right? By the end of that movie, every single one of those things has been dealt with. Every single one. There's no loose ends where you go, well, what happened to the scarecrow? What happened to the, he got his brain, he got his heart. Every single one. It's a masterfully written uh, story. In the Bible, there are all kinds of conflicts, some of which we already mentioned. By the end of this book, God's going to leave no loose ends. That's part of why the scroll has to be unrolled by someone that's worthy, and Jesus is worthy. Now we see in chapter 6 the beginning of the, the removal of each seal. With each seal comes a judgment of God. Uh, I'm going to come back to judgment in a second. Um, But a judgment of God. Each of the four horsemen are a judgment in a sense. Okay. You say, why judgment? Because for thousands of years, most people on planet Earth have thumbed their nose at God, disobeyed him, disavowed him, claimed he didn't exist, didn't care what he thought, sinned, persecuted his children, whether Israel or the church and um obeyed their father the devil that's john 8 in case you think that's a little weird john 8 says you're either of your father the devil or of your father in heaven born again so here come the judgments they're going to get more and more and more severe Jesus calls them birth pangs. Those of you ladies that have had a child or you men that have observed a birth, you know that birth pangs start this big and get bigger and bigger and bigger and more intense and closer together in time. Same for the seven seals. In the book of Revelation, listen, overview, there are seven seals, and those are not the animals at Marine World. They're seals made out of wax on a scroll. Seven seals... Seven trumpets, seven bowls. The seals are bad. The trumpets are worse. The bowls are really, really, really bad. And they're all connected. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet introduces the seven bowls. It all comes to a culmination in chapter 19 when Christ returns to the earth. Satan is judged. Then we have a millennium, many feel, not everybody agrees. And then the new heavens and the new earth, chapters 21 and 22, which is a brochure for you to read, not now, of heaven, your future home. All right, that finishes the whole book. Let's pray. Lord, we, no, I'm just kidding. All right, let's roll into chapter six. Let me just look at my intro and see if I covered everything. Yeah, we got the Wizard of Oz there. Um, We're going to be doing something we don't usually do. Sometimes they take a little detour and say, turn to Matthew 5 or Matthew 20 or whatever. We're going to do an extended one of those where I want you to keep your finger in Revelation 6 and keep a finger in, you can do it now if you want, Matthew 24. Because it turns out John's vision perfectly agrees with Jesus and what he says in Matthew 24. So, I'll tell you where to turn in Matthew 24, but for now, stay in uh, Revelation 6. Uh, Let's see. So let's dive in. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Oh, that was a good one. Those of you online, say amen. I can't hear you, but wave or do something. I see you there. Beautiful. Oh, I see two amen signs. I love it. Okay. Chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. And this is the first seal, and it is the uh, rider on the white horse. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Verse one of chapter six. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. It's almost like there's tension in heaven, a drum roll. He, they talked a whole chapter about these seals. Here it comes. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. Some translations have come forth. That's one of the four living creatures. Remember from a few chapters ago, uh, chapter four, they are uh, cherubim, mighty angels. There are different categories or classes of angels. They're one of the highest classes of angels. They surround the throne of God. One of them, when the seal is broken, that's the sign. And he orders the first horseman, come, go for it in today's vernacular. Verse 2, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. That's as in bow like this, bow and arrow. Uh, Its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Or he rode out to conquer, conquering and to conquer, some translations have. Okay, you say, hmm, that doesn't sound too bad. Remember, they get worse and worse. So if this is bad, it's not that bad, or is it? Okay, so the big question, of course, is what's going on here? There's a lot of symbolism in this book, as there is in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, where, uh, Isaiah, when there's prophetic language. Daniel certainly has a lot of symbolism. Okay, so there are two main theories who this guy is, the rider on the white horse. The minority opinion, but there's some good scholars that think it, is that the rider on the white horse is Christ, or the triumphant preaching of the gospel. Okay, keep your finger here and go to Revelation 19, and I'll show you why they think that. Revelation chapter 19 turn a few pages to the right and pick it up in verse 11. Revelation 19:11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of god the armies of heaven are following him riding on right white horses dressed in fine linen white and clean out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he's going to rule them with a uh, an iron scepter okay and it goes on from there go back to revelation six some scholars believe this is the triumphant preaching of the gospel first question is that a judgment Not really is this jesus christ as you saw there's some similarities there white horse white usually speaks of purity so it doesn't seem like an evil kind of a guy um so Uh, some have said, by the way, another minority opinion, it's Roman emperors. I don't know where they get that, but we'll stick with the two majority opinions. One opinion is, believe it or not, that it's Christ. The other opinion is that this is antichrist. say, wow, I didn't see that. I hear you. Okay. Why is it Jesus if you believe that? And I don't. White for purity. Um. Jesus in chapter one of Revelation has white hair. Believers get a white stone. They wear white robes. A horse means war, but this is a righteous war. Notice there was a crown in Revelation 19, and there's a crown here. So whoever it is is crowned, just like Jesus. Occasionally in the Bible, a bow is symbolic of divine victories. So this is Jesus and the gospel spreading over the earth, right before or right as the tribulation is beginning. Okay, here's why the majority opinion might be the right one. This is what I think is going on here. I think this is the Antichrist who impersonates Christ. I'll show you why. Number one, this is false peace is is really what it is the antichrist's false peace okay first of all it can't be christ for the following reasons remember who gives the order come an angel does jesus salute to angels and take orders from angels i think it would be the other way around right number one number two Jesus is opening the seal, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the lion of the tribe. So he can't be opening the seal and it's him riding the horse. I mean, he could, because this is in the future. It's a little unusual. Okay. Number three, what about the crown though, Joe? King of Kings, Lord of Lords, two words for crown in the Bible, Stephanos a crown, if you ran in the Olympics, um, the thousand meters or whatever they had then, and won, you would get a Stephanos. It's a temporary crown woven with um, leaves kind of thing. It's going to rot and kind of fall apart. Jesus does not wear that kind of a crown that you win. He, ruins, he wears a diadem or diadema, it's called. It's a crown of royal ruling, a king, a prince. A queen would wear a diadem crown. Furthermore, if you remember Revelation 19, he doesn't have one. There's many crowns on whoever the Revelation 19 guy is, and that's definitely Jesus. I, don't, I didn't find anybody that disagreed with that. Okay. Um, this guy has a bow as a weapon. Anybody notice what's missing? There's ar- no arrows. What does that mean? Maybe they just forgot. God doesn't forget. What's the weapon of the Revelation 19 Christ? A sword. Remember? Coming out of his mouth. The word of God. His word. He speaks and that's a weapon. Right? This is a different weapon. This is a bow with no arrows. What it speaks of is, this is the majority opinion. A peace that is won throughout the world without firing a shot. Diplomatic peace. Threats. Cold War peace. Peace. But there's no arrows. It's just a bow. You go into battle with a bow and no arrows, unless you're going to swing it and hit somebody with it. It's not a very good weapon. Very odd that it's a bow with no arrows. He So it's a bloodless victory, a worldwide peace by this Antichrist. By the way, if the world is in turmoil, and right now, by the way, there are 27. I looked it up armed conflicts or wars on planet earth right now 27 you say i know ukraine and russia there's 26 others however large or small if there's chaos in the world and a world leader antichrist comes without firing a shot and is able to bring diplomatic peace don't you think people would go boy he is really something Later, we read that he can do the same guy miracles, uh, even more deception. So this is a uh, a fake, counterfeit, anti Christ. Antichrist appears. Several places in the Bible, but nowhere more than Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, there is—we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but we'll get there. There's a fake Trinity. The Antichrist, who playing the part of guess who? Christ. He even has a false resurrection. He gets a fatal wound to the head and is raised from the dead, and the whole world marvels after him. It says in Revelation 13. Then there's the False prophet playing the role of Antichrist, uh, uh, sorry, of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the dragon, which is the devil playing the role of God. False Trinity, false resurrection, false Christ. He brings peace. It wouldn't surprise me if Antichrist, a a human being indwelt by Satan with great power, that was going to take over the whole world in the future in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. It wouldn't surprise me if he says he is Christ. This isn't the first time I was here. I was here 2000 years ago. They pierced my hands and my feet. I'm back. Look, I brought world peace. In a second Thessalonians, it says this guy can summon fire from the sky. Some sort of lying signs and wonders, it calls it in that passage. So here's a guy bringing peace to the earth, which looks great. The following horse takes peace. From the earth that this guy brings, but he's been introduced to the world here. The crown that's given is one that is given to him. He didn't earn it. It says it was given to him sort of by the popular opinion, democratic vote of the world. We think this guy's awesome. I believe if we're alive at the time Antichrist shows up, you and I having the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Bible says we'll not be fooled. You and I will talk among ourselves and go, he's, he's clearly evil. And yet unsaved friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors are going to think you're crazy. He's the greatest world leader. We've This is the guy we've been waiting for. Because these things are spiritually discerned. In any case, um, the other three horsemen are all judgments, bad stuff we're about to see. If this is Jesus, I don't know that it fits for the reasons we've already talked about. Um, Let's see. Why would Jesus show up here uh, riding out to conquer when it doesn't fit when he shows up in chapter 19 at the end of the tribulation? This is the beginning of the tribulation, by the way. I think I mentioned that. Okay. This is the antithesis. Sorry of that passage in chapter 19. He's impersonating Jesus and he's going to fool everybody that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That's what the uh, word teaches. He's the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. Um, He will imprison and kill many people. Satan will know at this time that his time is short and that God is going to be on his tail. So he will persecute and even kill, sorry, Christians, chapter 13 says. Um, We already talked about that. Okay, the best proof to me that this is Antichrist is keep your finger in Revelation 6, go to Matthew 24. Most of you are already there because you're smarter than me. Matthew 24 is Jesus teaching on the end times, among other things. He's teaching also about when Jerusalem's going to get within his, his their lifetimes that are there, crushed by the Romans as a judgment against Israel. But R- Matthew 24, I want you to stay with me in Matthew 24. Um, let's pick it up in verse 4. Watch the order, okay? Matthew 24, verse 4. Well, you got to pick it up in verse three, last half of verse three. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Do you see that? What does he start with? Verse four, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am Christ and will deceive many. False Christs. Okay. He repeats that later in this chapter. In fact, it's the thing he repeats the most. There's other stuff, but he starts out with watch out for false Christ. Don't believe everything people say. Interesting Revelation 6, if it fits, a white horse and a rider making peace with a disposable crown, not a kingly crown, uh, a bow with no arrows, false peace. Uh and, and a and a pretend Christ. Look at verse Six. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Verse seven. Kingdom against kingdom. Stop right there. Let's just look ahead for a second. What's the second horse? The second seal and the second horse is verse four. Back to Revelation six. We're flipping back and forth. Another horse, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword, war. Okay, Matthew, go back to Matthew 24. This is really good finger exercise for those of you that need the exercise. Go back to Matthew 24, right in the middle of verse 7 kingdom against kingdom. Do you see that? And then there will be what? Famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Look back at Revelation 6, third seal. What is it? Famine. We'll get there and we'll talk about it. The black horse is famine, great shortages of food. And believe it or not, I'll show you why I believe this, That third seal is also, the third horse is also rampant, wait for it, inflation. Sound familiar? (laughs) Anyway, uh, okay, fourth seal uh, is death. Now look at Matthew 24. What happens after the earthquakes? Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to, verse 9, death same order go back to revelation six with me for now let's keep uh let's keep rolling so this first horse i believe is a fake piece brought by an antichrist who looks like the guy riding it on the white horse i think he'll be good looking i think he'll be smart a great speaker a military genius a political genius all rolled into one the bible says as i said he is in uh indwelt by satan who would have all the ways of speaking and convincing the unsaved that he is their savior okay so that's the first one it's rider held a bow given a crown he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest no arrows he's going to do it all without firing a shot bringing peace verse three when the lamb opened the second seal, the lamb is Jesus again from last chapter. When the lamb opened the second seal, verse three, I heard a second living creature say, come. I'm only doing that with the big voice because it's supposed to be like thunder, right? Uh, come. Then another horse, verse four, came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill Each other to him was given a large sword. This is wild, widespread war all over planet earth. I think you could throw in widespread bloodshed, murder, violence, all of that as well, but primarily it's war and destruction. Keep in mind that there are all of these plagues, whether it's the seals or the trumpets or the bulls. You may, I hope you don't, but you might think, boy, God is so cruel to do this. Listen, imagine that you had a giant ranch and you had five kids and living on the ranch with their wives or husbands. And they each had three kids, your grandkids, and you left the ranch to them and you went away for a long 20 year trip around the world. It's a long trip. And when you got back, you found out that some other people had not only been trying to take over your ranch, but they'd been persecuting and even killing some of your grandkids and your kids. Wouldn't you want to protect your own family and take revenge? Yes, you would. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's not our job to take vengeance. People do it, but it's not right. God does it. On the one side, there is great judgment going on here. Don't miss that. But here's the other thing. There's unbelievable grace and mercy. You say, how's that? God, knowing what has gone on, could nuke the entire world and kill every unbeliever. Just wipe them out in a second. And he could kill everybody on that ranch that had hurt his family. Why the gradual seven-year period to give people a chance to turn to Jesus Christ? Was that an amen or a sneeze? Okay, just checking. To give people a chance to come to Jesus Christ one last time. It's unbelievable. Mercy. If somebody hurt my family, I don't know that I'd be that, that merciful or kind he is. We will see in the next chapter, there's a lot of people that become believers during this crazy time on planet Earth. Okay, I wanted to mention that in case somebody's thinking, God is such a meanie, why can't he just be nice? Listen, if your theology is just that verse in First John that says, God is love. Is he love? Yes, it's true. But if that's all you focus on, you're missing all of who God is. He's also a God of absolute wrath against sin. He has to judge all sin. If you want to tie up every loose end, you can't leave any sin unpunished. The beauty of the gospel is by the time revelation is done, every single sin on planet earth, every single one has been judged one of two ways either the person pays themselves or if they were saved if they were believers jesus took that punishment on the cross 2000 years ago there's no third category it's one or the other one to mention that as well so we've got in the second horse the red horse blood red bloodshed war murder destruction um keep in mind these are getting more and more intense, and you're going to see all kinds of things. Matthew 24, we read wars and even rumors of wars. I have heard people say, "I can't. I'm not going to sell this too hard," but it's interesting. I read that in 2022, rumors of wars, and I think rumors of wars. We get news immediately, right? If you watch network television, they'll interrupt. We interrupt this program to bring you this news bulletin. War, nuclear war has occurred in what such and such a country or there. we know current. It's not like 500 years ago where I heard there might be a war in Israel. I don't know. Why are there rumors of wars? I wonder if the whole system we have of television, internet, cell phones might all not be working so well with all the stuff that's going on to where there are rumors. I heard there's a war in Europe going on. You and I would go, well, let me Google it. I'll just tell you right now. Nope. It's not happening as if Google's true. Okay. Um, So this is the first half of the tribulation and things are getting worse and worse. By the way, there's a few scholars that think red horse, red army. It's Russia. I think it's kind of a stretch, but I threw it out there at no extra charge. Uh, on your credit card. Okay. So he's got power to take peace verse four from the earth and to make people kill one another to him was given a large sword. Okay. One more pause during this tribulation period. You got to keep these two things in mind regardless. Okay. If you hear nothing else, remember this. There are two major things going on at the same time in the tribulation, okay? And they're not from the same source. One is from God. There is great wrath on the earth, both to punish and to wake people up, to have them come to Christ. We already talked about that. So one is the wrath of God against rebellion and sin and persecution of his kids, which is you and me and Jews, whoever believes. But at the same time, there is the wrath of the Antichrist against Christians. We haven't seen that yet. That's chapter 13, second half of the tribulation, where he's persecuting and killing believers and imprisoning them. We'll see that as well. What's your point, Joe? Just this. We are not guaranteed safety from the Antichrist. I'm a Christian. He can't hurt me. Bulletproof vest, and I got immunity. That's There's a verse in chapter 13 that says about believers, To for any, if anyone's destined to go into captivity, into captivity, he'll go. If anyone's destined to die by the sword, by the sword he will die. Ask yourself, why would the generation during the tribulation be any different than any other generation in which for 2,000 years there's been Christians getting their heads chopped off, thrown in prison. To this day, in some countries, you have a Bible, you go to jail. On the other hand, I believe as bad as these plagues are from God, if you're here and I'm here at this time, I believe that not a hair on your head will be touched by any of these plagues coming from God because they're not meant for you. We're not destined for wrath. If the pre-tribulation rapture view is true, it's a moot point because we're all out of here. The only people that have to worry about it are the ones who become Christians after the tribulation starts, after the rapture, right? But regardless, Christians are not immune from being hurt by or even killed by Antichrist, but I believe we are immune from absolutely any harm coming from all of these plagues and, you know, the hell that's going to break loose on earth god can direct his protect his own even in the midst of it he did it in the plagues in egypt do you remember none of the israelites got hurt by the lice or the you know all all that other stuff even the angel of death remember passover jews are fine every other household lost firstborn Wanted to mention that okay let's keep rolling and Go back to the horse race. How are we doing on time? We're doing great. So the first seal, false peace from a false Christ, anti-Christ. At this point, he looks like a great guy. You and I, if we're alive, we're going, something's wrong here. And we're reading our Bible going, hmm, maybe that is this. Second horse, war, killing, violence. The first, well, the second sin in the Bible. First sin was disobedience of Adam and Eve, right? Second sin, murder, right? Cain and Abel. Third horse, verse five. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse, its rider was holding a pair of scales. You ever see those little scales on, on chains and, and a balance? And you, you're weighing things out. It has to do with commerce and buying things and how much money buys how many goods or how much food specifically we'll see. He's holding a pair of scales in his hand. Verse six. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the foreign living creatures saying. Two pounds, or a quart, some translation have, of wheat for a day's wages, or a denarius. Denarius was a small silver coin. And the average worker, certainly not some king somewhere, but the average worker, a man or woman, would work a full day and get a denarius, one silver coin. Got the picture? In the days when that was occurring, that man that worked could bring that silver coin home to his family and use that silver coin, listen, to buy uh, 16 meals for the one day's wage. Got the picture? But not during the tribulation. Extreme food supply chain shortages kind of already starting a little bit um then i heard okay there's the voice so a quart of wheat a quart of wheat would be enough for one man to eat in a day it does not so he worked that day came home with a silver coin there's been such inflation of prices that that coin that used to supply plenty of food for the whole family kids wife grandma too uh, and the dog now it's he worked the whole day and he can buy enough food for himself. That's it. So he's giving the food to his wife and his kids, and everybody's hungry, starvation. Okay, um, and three quarts of barley. Okay, what's barley? Barley is another grain. It was the poor man's wheat. That's what it was called. Barley was more food for the livestock, not nearly as nutrition nutritious. You got to eat a lot more barley. To get the nutrition you need that you would from wheat, which is more nutritious. Either way, it's not enough for a day's wages, a denarius. And that verse ends with a strange little thing do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, a couple different theories on this passage uh, that oil and the wine thing. Everybody I read agrees this is extreme food shortage and extreme inflation where you're used to something a certain amount of money you go to the grocery store i know i can get three or four bags of groceries with this money as i'm paying it out and you leave the store with half a bag of stuff got the picture i mean you do have the picture don't you okay amen uh i remember when gasoline was 25 30 40 cents a gallon amen okay so uh, now I'm reading the notes here. Um, it's interesting that the scales have to do with commerce. In Revelation 13, which is the second half of the tribulation, the Antichrist takes over commerce to the point that you can't buy or sell, listen, anything unless you have a mark on your right hand or your forehead, which is basically his, a number referring to him, 666. Without that, you can't buy or sell anything. Implied in that is you can't bank, you can't work, you can't invest. Um, and it's probably illegal for me to go to and say, I'll trade you some, some zucchini if you'll give me some eggs or some of that beef that you have from your cow. Even that's illegal. You can't buy or sell unless you have his mark. Got the picture? That's later in the tribulation. Um, let's see. Yeah, a denarius, a day's wage, but actually I'm I'm wrong, 12 to 16 meals a day, depending on the time. So the poor are really struggling. Um, People that have storages of food are not doing as bad, but they're worried at this point. It's getting worse and worse. Um, Certainly there are very, very poor people that are going to starve to death in this situation. About a third of the world goes to bed every night, not sure where they're going to get any food tomorrow. Is there anybody here in that category? I don't think so. Therefore, by world standards, everybody listening to me, if you can afford Zoom and a computer or a laptop, you're wealthy world standard wise. Um, okay. Uh, okay. What about this oil and wine? It's interesting at that time there was a saying grain oil and wine and what that meant was those three things meant what the normal household needs to survive you say where's water in there water's sort of a given but you're forgetting there's no purification of water very few people drank just water you did you get a stomach ache you get sick they used wine in the water to kill the germs. Wine was a staple, a necessity, just like oil was because you need oil to mix with the wheat and what have you. So not everything is affected. Don't harm the oil and the wine. The wealthy would have more oil and wine than the others. um, So it might mean that the wealthy aren't really affected by this particular horse as much as the poor. Scholars disagree on that. Um, Okay. And it's an interesting thing because in this time, when this is being written, what's oil for Apostle John? What would he say? Cooking. I mean, it's also medicinal, partly, but it's for cooking. There were no Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, and Mercedes, which we think oil, oh, like gasoline. Is that what they're talking about? I don't know. Okay, let's keep rolling. Back to the horse race. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, good one. You guys on Zoom, you doing okay? Amen. I see the sign. You're awake. Uh, Most are anyway. Okay, so now we've got the black horse and the scales and shortages and unbelievable inflation. Fourth horse, fourth rider death verse seven when the lamb opened the fourth seal i heard the voice of the fourth living creature say come verse eight i looked and there before me was a pale horse this isn't white that really the word is chloros from which we get chlorophyll and it's like a pale sickening green i don't want to gross anybody out but it's the color of a dead body or an extremely ill person pale sick um, its rider was named death and Hades was following close behind him there was there were given they sorry were given power over a fourth of the earth one quarter of the Earth's population to kill by sword we already saw that which is war and murder and violence famine and uh pestilence or plague some translations have and by the wild beasts of the earth isn't that interesting i'm going to surprise you with the wild beasts in a second um but let's talk about this so the fourth uh horse is just plain death you say well death has always occurred ever since the fall of adam and eve The day you eat it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve ended up dying. So did their kids. Everybody dies. Walter Martin used to joke the death rate is currently one per person. We're all going to make it, right? Everybody dies of their last sickness or accident, right? Injury. Um, Unless you count old age, if that's a thing. Uh, None of us are old, so we don't have to worry about that. Okay, Um, so here is uh, the death toll from all of the above. What do you mean? I mean, from the dictatorship of Antichrist and the way he's ruling the world from war, from murder, from violence, from the fact that there's a famine and sickness. Uh, So ashen is the color uh, in some translations, pale green, very sick person, death on a massive scale. Okay. A quarter of the earth he doesn't mean necessarily a slice meaning just this area it's 25 percent of the whole population it could be happening all over the place i don't know which it is but currently there's about eight billion people on planet earth if you do the math that's two if it happened today two billion people dying with that much death Comes more sickness with that many dead bodies. The, the coroners and the morgues can't handle it, and they're mass graves, and it's wow, not good. Um, if there was a nuclear war, the numbers could be high very quickly, right? Um, sword means war and all that. So there's starvation, there's all kinds of sickness. Uh, all a judgment against unsaved man. But let's talk about the wild beasts. If we go back to the Wizard of Oz, most of you are thinking lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Thank you. I knew someone would say, oh, my. Okay, I don't think that's what this is. Could be. Right. If you live in Chicago, are the lions coming for you in Chicago? The bears, they got out of the zoo. Okay, maybe, but not that many. What animal has, are you thinking, okay, ocean sharks, I hear you. What animal has been responsible for more death on planet earth than lions, tigers, bears? My wife hates crocodiles and alligators. Uh, Anybody know? Rats. Rats kill way more people than lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, Let's see. I've got some statistics here. The bubonic plague was carried by rats and killed, listen, a third of the people in Europe. One third. Okay. One rat can carry up to 35 diseases at once. Can I get a eel? Okay, thank you. Um, rats have killed more people on planet Earth than all the wars put together. Um, the bubonic plague by the way is 14th century um billions of dollars are lost every year from rats getting into the food supply so it could be lions tigers bears sharks whatever it could be rats too with the death and the lack of sanitation uh you could see where things could get pretty primitive and pretty scary pretty quickly uh Yeah, we already talked about that. Man, by the way, is finally having his day. You say, what do you mean by that? People have always thought, humanism teaches, we can solve these problems ourselves. If we just had the right leader, man could rule himself. We don't need God. We can do it. In this era, we have our world leader and it's not turning out well. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bodies. Don't go far, I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back in two minutes. Stay tuned.. Here we go. Sorry about that. We're back. Find your seats. Those of you that are here, find Everybody's eating. See, if you come to the Bible study and don't stay home, you get little treats. People bring baked goods. That's why we're all getting heavier here in the, in the room. Anyway, we're back in Revelation chapter. Six, find your seats back there, if you will. Okay, we've come through some horses and things are getting a little worse and a little worse, don't you think? Kind of scary. This fourth seal is widespread death. On the break, somebody was saying under the category of plagues that the wild beasts are in a sense, uh, you know, Other living things besides human beings, is it possible that the living things besides human beings can include microscopic ones, meaning viruses, um, that kind of sickness thing? Um, We've seen a very mild version of that with COVID. Yes, people died. I get that. It was serious, but widespread death. This is a whole different kind of a plague thing. A judgment on the earth. You would think that people would be looking up in these catastrophes, going, Please help me, God. I'm going to pull out my dusty Bible and read it again. To to a great extent, they don't, but some people do. You find out a lot about people when there's an emergency, when there's really bad times, right? Okay, a fourth of the earth, though, wow, to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now we're moving on to verse nine. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good. And you guys on Zoom, I see that sign. I see the waves. Awesome. Oh, I see our friends in Vanuatu as well. All right. The fifth seal, verse nine. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Okay, so... Well, let's read the rest. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy untrue and, and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, what's going on in verse 9? This is the cry of the martyrs, if you will. During this time, there are many uh, believers. These are believers who are killed specifically because they're believers. Remember what I said earlier, the two things to remember. God's wrath is falling on mankind. But believers, I believe, will not be hurt by God's wrath. However, Antichrist, there's starting to be persecution against Christians. We don't have a guarantee that we'll be safe from that. We can certainly pray and do everything we can to be safe but you never know. If the time comes that somebody puts a gun to my head and says, are you a believer in Jesus or not? I'm not going to, I don't think, wimp out and say, no, I'm going to say I'm a believer. I'd rather die as a believer than live as a liar, right? And say I'm not a believer. So uh, it it is the greatest time of tribulation in Matthew 24. Jesus says that there ever was and ever will be on planet earth. Are you starting to see why now? Wow. Okay, so the cry of the martyrs is an unusual one. Um and for the first time we find out about an altar in heaven. We know about altars on earth where there's sacrifice taking place. Um let's see. So under the altar. Why are they under the altar? Obviously this is metaphor language because the altar would have to be the size of a stadium or bigger for there to be that many bodies underneath the altar i i I misspoke they're not bodies they're the souls the spirits the immaterial part of people that have died who were believers where are their bodies joe still buried on the earth right okay uh so number one uh, we've learned that in the throne room, there's also a temple and an altar. When in the Old Testament, Leviticus 4, 7, there was a sacrifice on the altar, the command was that the blood of the sacrifice, the rest of it was to be poured out, guess where? At the base of the altar. What's What are you saying? I'm saying that these Christians would not Recant their testimony for Jesus. They said, No, you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm a believer in Jesus. And they were arrested and they were killed by some government entity or somebody persecuting Christians. It doesn't say who. Most likely it's Antichrist's government. You with me so far? Okay. What this is saying is a couple of things. Number one, consciousness after death. What do you mean? There's a doctrine in Seventh-day Adventism called soul sleep, which says that we are a body, a soul, and a spirit. They're right. But when the Christian dies, the body goes into the earth, and the soul and the spirit are in a state of suspended animation. There's no consciousness. They can't say anything. They don't know anything. They're just sleeping. Okay? The Bible does use sleep as a metaphor for death. Why? Have you ever seen a dead body? It looks like the person's just asleep, and you could go, Bill, wake up, and they would wake up. The soul and the spirit go instantly for believers who die to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul says, I, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Not, I long to go take a 2,000-year nap until Jesus returns, doesn't make a lot of sense. These are believers, listen, who were killed for their faith. They are awake and conscious and metaphorically, symbolically shown under the altar as if God counts that as that's a sacrifice. They made a sacrifice. You mean that's how they save themselves? No, no, no. Jesus' sacrifice is the only sacrifice that saves anybody permanently. But they were willing to sacrifice their lives. What does Jesus say in the gospels? Take up your cross and follow me. We read that and go, Oh, yeah, the cross. I love there's a cross back there. I love the cry. Wear a cross. And listen, think of it this way: a cross is an instrument of death. It would be like saying, take up your guillotine and follow me. Take up your firing squad, your, your gas chamber, your beheading sword. It's a serious thing. God sees those deaths as sacrifices and they're safe. They're awake. They're under the altar. And you're about to see they're secure and saved. Watch. Um, but let's, let me read my notes here. Yeah, we already talked about that. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. What are they crying out for? vengeance the souls that have been slain why because of the word of god because of the gospel because they were christians and they wouldn't fake it and deny it the testimony they what maintained they stuck with it to the end by the power of the spirit they called out in a loud loud voice verse 10 how long sovereign lord holy and true the talking to god until you judge the inhabitants of the earth inhabitants of the earth in quotes In Revelation is always unsaved people, unbelievers. They're the ones that killed the believers. How long until you judge them and avenge our blood? We said it earlier, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Many people have taken justice into their own hands to avenge the death of their daughter or wife or husband or son or whoever. God says, let me handle it. I can handle it way better than you can vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. In the book of Revelation, he does repay. Every sin is judged, either at the cross, believers, or for unbelievers, they pay. You're you're reading about it now, they're paying. But he tells them, how long till you avenge our blood? That's what they want to know. It's a time question. Then, verse 11, each of them was given a white robe. That is Security, the purity of Christ's sacrifice, they're saved. They're secure. They're each given a white robe. They're told to wait a little longer until this is so interesting until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Wait, does that mean every single Christian's going to die a martyr's death? No. What it means is that God is limiting. Even though it looks like all hell's breaking loose, boy, everything's out of control. God's in heaven going, oh, no, no, it's not out of control at all. He's limiting the number of martyrs, but there will be martyrs. Um, the I don't have it in front of me, but I, I believe that I read the 1900s, 20th century, the last century, more Christians were killed for their faith than all the other centuries put together. So this is not like a future phenomenon. It, it's happening um they're told to wait a little longer by the way if we're almost to the midpoint of the tribulation that little longer is about three and a half years that's all who are these christians that are on the earth if you believe in the pre-trib rapture as i said these are people that came to christ after the beginning of the tribulation if you don't believe in the pre-trib rapture post-trib rapture or mid-trib These are all Christians that are alive at the time this is happening. You may say, you know, I'd rather have lived some other century where you just live and you die, and I think this would be an exciting time to live. If we get to see it in our lifetimes, who knows? Um, Okay, they're going to wait a little longer till the the number of their fellow servants, other believers, are also going to be killed, but God knows the number. OK, the very hairs on your head are numbered. You know that. So he knows how many are supposed to die. Um, there's another interesting number mentioned, and it's in the book of Romans. I'm looking for it in my notes right now. <laughs> uh, no, that's not it. Darn, I don't see it. Uh, oh, it's Romans eleven twenty-five. Turn there really briefly, or if you're not a page turner, I'll find it quickly and read it to you. Romans 11, verse 25 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. He's talking to Christians, so that you may not be conceited. Israel, the Jews, has experienced a hardening in part part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. That verse indicates that The Jews reject for the most part, rejected Jesus as Messiah. Crucify him, remember that? Since then, their hearts, because they were already hard, have been hardened and the Gentiles, non-Jews, Irish people, Japanese people, Brazilian people, even Italians have been grafted in and are being saved. All of them, no, but a lot of Gentiles are being saved. There will come a time when the final number, whatever that number is of Gentiles God intends to save, when the last one gets saved, God will turn much more attention to the Jews. You're going to see that in the next chapter. Just wanted to throw that in. Okay. Um, we talked about the rats and grossed some people out. Um So they have rest, they can rest, these people that are under the altar in their spirits and souls. We say often in this Bible study that a human being is a trinity in a similar way, but not exactly, as God is. Are you saying we're gods? No. I'm saying that we are a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? At death, there's a separation. Two of them are immaterial, soul, spirit. You can look at me this is my physical form. You can't see my soul, which is my brain, my mind, my personality, my imagination, nor my spirit. You can't see them. Those parts that are immaterial, the software, if you're a computer nerd like me, go instantly to be with God. The body goes into the grave. Well, then there, I'm sort of in two places at once. as a separation. Not forever. The second coming of Jesus Christ, what happens is... The bodies rise out of the grave. The soul and spirit of the person that died, let's say somebody was a Christian and he died five years ago or last month, whenever. At the second coming, that guy, soul and spirit or gal will return with Jesus in the clouds. Without a body, yes. But his body's going to rise out of the grave, whether it's in Oakland or in Tokyo or wherever it is, it's going to rise out of the grave. And like a hand going back into a glove, the glove being the body, the hand, the real you being the soul and the spirit will reunite. Oh, no, that same body with all the aches and pains. No, a resurrected glorified body, no sickness, no pain, no disease, no death, no sin nature, no sin pretty awesome deal. And we'll be with Christ forever like that. Do you have anything to look forward to? You bet you do. Okay. Um, Yeah, we already talked about that. Okay. I'm going back to the text here. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay. You guys on Zoom? Amen. I even heard some of you. All right. Um, The sixth seal, verse 12, chapter six, Revelation. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Translation, this ain't no ordinary earthquake far as I can see. Most of you have been through an earthquake, right? I lived in Massachusetts till 1963. Then we moved to San Jose Uh, for many years in San Jose. And then we lived in Santa Cruz for many years. What the standard procedure was, you're eating dinner and there's an earthquake and it's like, "Mm," and somebody goes, oh, it's an earthquake. And then it's over and you go, pass the potatoes. You don't even talk about it, right? It was no big deal. Those of you that live in Southern California, you know what I'm talking about the bay area earthquake my wife and i we had a fairly bad experience long story i won't go into it but that was a whole different ball game you might say right not just pass the potatoes but run for your lives kind of thing this is way different from the worst earthquake anybody's ever experienced let's look at it so it's not just an earthquake i'm calling this sixth horse sixth seal um, it's not a horse, the sixth seal, sorry, cosmic phenomena and terror, disasters, big, big, big disasters. That was three bigs for those of you that are counting. There was a great earthquake. Listen, this is a worldwide earthquake. The earthquake that occurred in the Bay Area that so messed up the whole Bay Area from Santa Cruz, to the north bay and all of San oakland san francisco san jose we came here three days later got out of the car with no sleep went to a motel in oakhurst and rang the bell and the lady came out it was like six in the morning and i said is the earth moving here because we had 2200 aftershocks in two weeks in the bay area figure out how many that is and the lady said what And I said, are you having the earthquakes, aftershocks here? And she goes, no. And I said, we'll take a room. (laughs) My point is, it was pretty local. It was a fairly good size area. This earthquake is worldwide. How worldwide is it, Joe? A great earthquake. There's also signs in the sun and the moon and the stars all at the same time. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair wow how long does this last i don't know i would think that would mean temperatures are really dropping on the earth could be wrong the whole moon turned blood red so this would mean that it's probably dark in the middle of the day right pretty crazy conditions if god hasn't gotten the unbelievers attention with all the other stuff i mentioned He's like shouting now. "Hello, I'm here. Signs in the sun, moon and stars." It follows Matthew 24 perfectly. He mentions the same thing. Um the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. Now in chapter 8 there's still stars in the sky so it's not every single star. Is this a giant meteor shower around the earth? I don't know. Um but the cosmic signs Notice how they're getting more and more grandiose. Um, and, and I love, this is so quaint. The stars in the sky fell to the earth like figs that drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Winds, winds in the Bible are emblematic or symbolic of judgment uh, of God. Um, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. You ever look at the stars lay on your back and when there's no moon, and man, you see so many stars? Somehow the whole thing looks like it's rolled up like a scroll, it's on a grandiose scale. Our galaxy is huge in our galaxy, there are billions of stars. What are those stars? 99% of them. There's a few planets you can say, Oh, there's Jupiter, there's Saturn, there's Mars, Venus, Mercury. Most of what you see that you think are stars, do you know what they are? Suns. You mean like our sun? Yes. In fact, ours is kind of on the small side. Our galaxy has billions of those suns. Our galaxy is one of billions of galaxies. How The heavens declare the glory of God. You ever read that and think, what does that mean? It means it's so big so that you'll go, wow, God is way more powerful and bigger than me. Okay. Joe's translation. The moon turns red. The sun turns black. The stars are falling um, like figs and people are so hungry. They wish they were figs, right? The heavens recede like a scroll. Here it comes. You ready? And a couple of mountains and islands are removed. Is that what it says? Every mountain and island, including the one we're on, moved from its place. This is a big earthquake the loma prieta earthquake the one in the bay area was 7.1 and then they revised it to 6.9 there have been nines and tens earthquakes this sounds like a 25 to me or a 50 right i don't even know what that would be every mountain and island was removed from its place translation don't be in hawaii when this happens okay so God is really, really trying to ring the bell here to wake people up. Let's see if they're listening, if there's any um, response. I'm I'm reading notes here. Uh, One commentator wrote, the whole universe is coming apart at the seams. The whole universe, right? The food supply is coming apart. Yeah, that's kind of local on planet Earth. This is the whole universe. Something's going on here. Signs and the sun, moon, and stars. By the way, we're getting toward the end. Did you keep your finger in Matthew 24? I'd forgot to. Go back to Matthew 24. Let's look at that. Jesus talking about the end of the world. Second coming, all of that. Matthew 24. Um, Oh, there's even a lesson about the fig tree. I forgot about that. Um, Okay, look at, so there's a great tribulation. False Christs. And now I'm in verse uh, 26. False Christs again. Look at verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the distress, that's the word tribulation, of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. Wait, that sounds just like what we just read. Pretty similar. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The whole universe is coming apart. Jesus agrees with John. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man, this is right before the second coming, the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Nations of the earth is another way of saying the unbelievers. If you're alive at that time and the sign of the Son of Man appears in the sky, are you going to mourn? I'm going to throw a party and invite all of you. I'm going to be going, yay, jumping up and down like a little kid. He's here. Yes, Maranatha. But most people are going to mourn. They will see. Did you see that? Visible coming. Not invisible. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. This is the very end. This is chapter 19. We're a long ways away. I just wanted you to give give you a little coming attraction to keep you interested with all these plagues and murders and wars and pestilence and they'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect his chosen that's you if you're alive from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other Okay. Go back to Revelation chapter six, if you will. Uh, We're almost done. Cosmic disturbances, signs in heaven, and with the sixth seal is tremendous fear, not repentance for the most part. I want to show you that in a second. It shows, by the way, the transcendence of God, how much power he has that he can speak this and make this happen. The whole universe is coming apart. God's going, did you push a button? No, I just said it. It happened. It also shows, doesn't it, the total weakness and dependence of mankind on its creator, who previously had everything working just perfectly, right? All the stars, the planets circling our sun and the moon circling the earth, all perfect. The right amount of gravity. Wow. Everything's out of whack because mankind is trying to do it on their own. Joel chapter two, turn there briefly. Where's Joel? It's in the Old Testament toward the end. So find Matthew and take a left, basically. Um, I'm running out of time and I'm trying to do too many things at once. Um, Old Testament, Joel chapter two. Oh, and I missed it. Mm-hmm. Should have had my page number noticed carefully. Okay, after Nahum. Oh, I wanted to see, look at something in Nahum as well, but oh well. Um, Joel Zephaniah. Help me out. Is it after Zephaniah? I can't remember. Zechariah? It's before, right? After where? after Hosea well shoot I'm I'm short on time and I'm rushing oh there it is Joel chapter took took the teacher forever Joel chapter 2 Joel 2 verses 10 and 11 for starters how are we doing on time short Before them, the earth quakes, the sky trembles, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord, verse 11, thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord, that's the judgment, that's the whole tribulation time, everything is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it or who can stand Um, same chapter go to verse 30 yeah 30 and 31 same chapter of joel i will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord and everyone here's the mercy and everyone who calls on the name of the lord even then yes will be saved wow deliverance on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Pretty cool. Um, We already talked about that. So the universe is coming apart at the seams uh, and Jesus is coming back. Look at verse 13 and we'll quit in a few more seconds. Verse 13, we're back to Revelation 6. Great earthquake, sun turned black, whole moon turned blood, stars in the sky fell as earth uh, fell to the earth, just like figs. Verse 14, heavens receded like a scroll, we got all that. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, repented and received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't say that in your Bible? what's wrong with you people? Nope. Wouldn't you think they'd go, come on, the jig is up. He he's real. Notice that there's an accent on the powerful here, the Kings, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free. In other words, all strata of society, rich, poor, powerful, weak, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They're the ones that are still alive, having seen all this stuff. Why are they hiding? You know, when Jesus comes back, there's two reactions. Oh no. And oh yes. Right? Believers. Oh yes. Oh no. They're actually trying to hide from God. When did that first happen? Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. They sin. What do they do? God can't see us here behind this tree. Yeah, right. They hide. In caves and among rocks and the mountains, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Remember Joel, who can stand? Chapter seven will answer the question, who can stand? Let's go back and read 15 again. So these are all the powerful and everybody else, instead of believing, instead of repenting, they're hiding in caves as if they're safe there and among the rocks of the mountains. But verse 16 is incredible to me. They would rather be crushed by rocks and squished and killed, sorry, Then face God. Do they know there's a God now? Yes. Do they know about Jesus the Lamb? Yes. How do you know that? Read that verse. They called on the rocks, verse 16, and the mountains fall on us and hide us from the face, the visible face. He's about to come back of him who what sits on the throne. You people are crazy. He sits on the throne. You think you can hide from him and from the wrath, the anger of the lamb why is he angry because they've been killing his kids and he doesn't like that remember paul on the road to damascus saul called saul then what's he been doing imprisoning and killing christians right and jesus gets a hold of him on the road to damascus and you know what jesus says why are you persecuting christians no why are you persecuting me I take it personally. Those are my kids. I love that. Um, Four, verse 17, the great day of their wrath. Who's there? The father and the son. And who can withstand it? All we can do is hide. No, no, you can still repent. There's still time. You would think God would go now. It's too late now. There's still time. I'll show you next week in chapter seven. There's plenty of people that do the opposite, that don't hide, that don't say, oh, let the rocks squish my little body. Instead, they say, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. The same catastrophe that makes some people even more rebellious brings some to their knees. Let's close with prayer and we'll get out of here. Thank you, Father, for this amazing book. You write and predict the future with total accuracy. What an amazing thing. It's no sweat for you, God. We know you've shown great patience all these centuries and millennia. And then the time comes where you take back the earth and we're reading about it. And it's a a little frightening, not for us, but it's just a little overwhelming. So we pray, God, that you would make sh- each of us sure that we are ready, that we believe to the point that whatever happens, our faith will not wane or slow down or hide. In this time, God, we might be a thousand years away from these days, or it might be pretty close. We pray that you would draw each of us even closer In your word, in fellowship with other believers, in fellowship with you, in prayer, in repentance, in obedience, we pray you would use us at this time, God. All the glory to you. Thank you that you've given us a preview of the future and will continue in this book. We praise you, God, and can't wait to see you. In the meantime, use us mightily. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time, God willing. Thanks for being here.